Chapter Twenty Seven, My Washerwoman, of Trials and Confessions of a Housekeeper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trials and Confessions of a Housekeeper, by T. S. Arthur, Chapter Twenty Seven, My Washerwoman. We were sitting at tea one evening. Mr. Smith, my sister, and her husband, Mr. John Jones, and myself. In the midst of a pleasant conversation, Bridget looked into the dining room. "What is wanted?" said I. "Mary Green is downstairs." "Oh, the washerwoman." "Yes, ma'am." "Well, what does she want?" I knew what she wanted well enough. She had come for two dollars that I owed her. I felt annoyed. "Why?" the reader asks. Obligations of this kind should always be met promptly and cheerfully. True, and I am of those who never grudge the humble poor the reward of their labor. But it so happened that I had received a pretty liberal supply of money from my husband on this very day, all of which I had spent in shopping. Some of my purchases could not be classed exactly under the head articles of domestic economy, and I was already in rather a repentant mood. The warmth of admiration at the sight of sundry ornamental trifles having subsided almost as soon as I found myself their owner, to my question, Bridget very promptly answered, "She's come for her money." When a woman feels annoyed, she is rarely able to repress its exhibition. Men are cooler and have a quicker self-control. They make better hypocrites. She's very prompt. I remarked a little fretfully as I took out my portemonnaie. Now I did not possess twenty cents, and I knew it. Still, I fingered among its compartments as if in search of the little gold dollars that were not there. Haven't you the change? Inquired Mr. Smith at the same time, drawing forth his purse through the meshes of which the gold and silver gold glittered in the gas of light. No, dear," I replied, feeling instant relief. "Help yourself," said he, as he tossed the purse to my side of the table. I was not long in accepting the invitation, you may be sure. "Don't think," said I, after Bridget had retired, "that I am one of those who grudge the toiling poor the meagre wages they earn." I presume I looked, as I spoke, a little annoyed. The fact is, to tell the honest truth, I have not a dollar in my portemonnaie. This, with the not very pleasant consciousness of having spent several dollars today rather foolishly, fretted me when the just demand of the washerwoman came. I will exonerate my wife from any suspicion of grinding the faces of the poor. Mr. Smith spoke promptly and with some earnestness of manner. After a slight pause, he continued, "Some people have a singular reluctance to part with money. If waited on for a bill, they say almost involuntarily." Call tomorrow, even though their pockets are far from being empty. I once fell into this bad habit myself, but a little incident which I will relate cured me. Not many years after I had attained my majority, a poor widow named Blake did my washing and ironing. She was the mother of two or three little children, whose sole dependence for food and raiment was on the labor of her hands. Punctually every Thursday morning, Mrs. Blake appeared with my clothes, white as the driven snow, but not always as punctually did I pay the pittance she had earned my hard labor. Mrs. Blake is downstairs," said a servant tapping at my room door one morning, while I was in the act of dressing myself. "Oh, very well," I replied. "Tell her to leave my clothes. I will get them when I come down." The thought of paying the seventy-five cents her due crossed my mind. 
but I said to myself, it's but a small matter, and we'll do as well when she comes again. There was in this a certain reluctance to part with money. My funds were low, and I might need what change I had during the day. And so it proved. As I went to the office in which I was engaged, some small article of ornament caught my eye in a shop window. Beautiful, said I, as I stood looking at it. Admiration quickly changed into the desire for possession, and so I stepped in to ask the price. It was just two dollars. Cheap enough, thought I, and this very cheapness was a further temptation. So I turned out the contents of my pockets, counted them over, and found the amount to be two dollars and a quarter. I guess I'll take it, said I, laying the money on the shopkeeper's counter. Better have paid, Mrs. Blake. This thought crossed my mind an hour afterwards, by which time the little ornament had lost its power of pleasing. So much would at least have been saved. I was leaving the table after tea, on the evening that followed, when the waiter said to me, Mrs. Blake is at the door and wishes to see you. I felt worried at hearing this, for there was no change in my pockets, and the poor washerwoman had, of course, come for her money. She's in a great hurry, I muttered to myself as I descended to the door. You'll have to wait until you bring home my clothes next week, Mrs. Blake. I haven't any change this evening. The expression of the poor woman's face as she turned slowly away without speaking rather softened my feelings. I'm sorry, said I, but it can't be helped now. I wish you had said this morning that you wanted money. I could have paid you then. She paused and turned partly towards me as I said this. Then she moved off with something so sad in her manner that I was touched sensibly. I ought to have paid her this morning, when I had the change about me, and I wish I had done so. Why didn't she ask for her money if she wanted it so badly? I felt, of course, rather ill at ease. A little while afterwards I met the lady with whom I was boarding. "'Do you know anything about this Mrs. Blake who washes for me?' I inquired. "'Not much, except that she is very poor and has three children to feed and clothe, and what is worst of all, she is in bad health. I think she told me this morning that one of her little ones was very sick.' I was smitten with a feeling of self-condemnation, and soon after left the room. It was too late to remedy the evil, for I had only a sixpence in my pocket, and, moreover, I did not know where to find Mrs. Blake. Having purposed to make a call upon some young ladies that evening, I now went up into my room to dress. Upon my bed lay the spotless linen brought home by Mrs. Blake in the morning. The sight of it rebuked me, and I had to conquer with some force an instinctive reluctance before I could compel myself to put on a clean shirt and snow-white vest too recently from the hand of my unpaid washerwoman. One of the young ladies upon whom I called was more than a mere pleasant acquaintance, and here Mr. Smith glanced with a tender smile towards me. My heart had, in fact, been warming towards her for some time, and I was particularly anxious to find favour in her eyes. On this evening she was lovelier and more attractive than ever. Judge then of the effect produced upon me by the entrance of her mother at the very moment when my heart was all aglow with love, who said, as she came in, "'Oh, dear, this is a strange world!' "'What new feature have you discovered now, mother?' asked one of her daughters, smiling. "'No new one, child, but an old one that looks more repulsive than ever,' was answered. "'Poor Mrs. Blake came to see me just now in great trouble.' "'What about, mother?' All the young ladies at once manifested unusual interest. Tell-tale blushes came instantly to my countenance, upon which the eyes of the mother turned themselves, as I felt with a severe scrutiny. The old story in cases like hers was answered. 
can't get her money when earned, although for daily bread she is dependent on her daily labor. With no food in the house or money to buy medicine for her sick child, she was compelled to seek me to-night and to humble her spirit, which is an independent one, so low as to ask bread for her little ones, and the loan of a pittance with which to get what the doctor was ordered for her feeble sufferer at home. "'Oh, what a shame!' fell from the lips of her in whom my heart felt more than a passing interest, and she looked at me earnestly as she spoke. She fully expected, said her mother, to get a trifle that was due her from a young man who boards with Mrs. Corwin, and she went to see him this evening. But he put her off with some excuse. How strange that any one should be so thoughtless as to withhold from the poor their hard-earned pittance! It is but a small sum, at best, that the toiling seamstress or washerwoman can gain by her wearying labor that, at least, should be promptly paid. To withhold it an hour is to do, in many cases, a great wrong. For some minutes after this was said, there ensued a dead silence. I felt that the thoughts of all were turned upon me as the one who had withheld from poor Mrs. Blake the trifling sum due her for washing. What my feelings were, it is impossible for me to describe, and difficult for any one, never himself placed in so unpleasant a position, to imagine. My relief was great when the conversation flowed on again, and in another channel, for I then perceived that suspicion did not rest upon me. You may be sure that Mrs. Blake had her money before ten o'clock on the next day, and that I never again fell into the error of neglecting, for a single week, my poor washerwoman. "'Such a confession from you, Mr. Smith, of all men,' said I, feeling a little uncomfortable that he should have told this story of himself. "'We are none of us perfect.' he answered, he is best who, conscious of natural defects and evils, strives against and overcomes them. End of chapter 27 My Washerwoman Read by Kehinde of Bahatrak.com